Well, we're going to continue in the book of Luke in chapter 13. So let's do that. Let's stand for our scripture passage today. 13, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke 13, 10 through 17. Let's hear now the word of God. And as we, as we hear the word of God, remember that this is a word that people die for right now and that people may proclaim the word may people may be bold and get up and stand and proclaim it like this in a sanctuary and they may actually uh, pay uh, the ultimate price for saying that and so as we reflect on this we remember that there's just power in this word and there's a spiritual even everyone it's spoken there's a spiritual buffeting going on and so uh, may we not take this lightly Brothers and sisters, Luke 13, 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered them and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Amen. You may be seated, and we'll go to the God, our God in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word once again to hear forth the work of Jesus Christ on this earth during his time and the continued, continued grace, truth, equity, and glory poured out by him today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to study this passage tonight fairly straightforward tonight, and we'll see what the word has for us, several applications throughout. Although the primary teaching actually tonight I'm going to focus is on the Sabbath, because that is effectively what the content is about here, in addition to the miracle that Jesus performs. So we're going to learn about the Sabbath tonight, and I'm going to leave you all with a consideration for further study and conviction by the Holy Spirit to apply to your lives. So first we see that Jesus was teaching in the in in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, of course, do you know what day of the week this was at that time? It would have been what we call today Saturday, right? And is that a good was that a good day of the week for teaching to happen in the synagogue, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean it would be like us teaching now on a, on, a, on a Sunday, right? And so, yes. And so we see Jesus doing that. Of course, we're also told Jesus taught it up throughout the week at other times, and so did the other apostles and disciples. But this is on the Sabbath. So that's our setting. This is on the Sabbath day. And, um, and so we see that 
it's a good day for people, God's people to come together and to hear this teaching take place. Now, before we go any further, let's just discuss the Sabbath for a moment. Uh, of course, the origin of the Sabbath goes back to creation, right? Remember that? In fact, the, this idea of a seventh day Sabbath was established at really the pinnacle of creation week. God blessed the Sabbath. He consecrated it. And so it became this sign, as it were. Adam's obedience you know, in the creation itself, if he kept his covenant with God, would lead to this eternal rest, this perpetual rest with Adam. But of course, we know that Adam fell in original sin. He fell, and yet the Sabbath day persisted, didn't it? Persisted past that, even as a reminder of the grace of our God, who continues to offer rest to his people through Jesus Christ. And so, right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning, God's people are urged to remember the Sabbath day, uh, really for two motives. And, and it's something I want to talk about. I actually made that the title uh, of, of, of this teaching tonight, is there's two ways in which really God's people are urged to remember the Sabbath. One is through the creation, which we're probably most familiar with. The second is actually through our redemption in Christ. And for both of these reasons, we're urged to keep the Sabbath holy, as we're told in the Ten Commandments, and, and remember it. And we see, in the, uh, we see that in the fourth commandment. And let me just read that right out of Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so we're called to remember the creation. You remember how, of course, our God himself even rested. But, and then we also see throughout Scripture, and I'm going to read uh, one, one particularly clear passage from Deuteronomy 5.15 that we're also called to remember our redemption. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.15, and remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so we remember our redemption as a reminder of the rest and the fulfillment that we have in Christ. There's no longer this, this, uh, this, as it were, this battle, this fight going on, this active work. It's this rest that we find through the redemption in Christ. And so we remember, we remember the Sabbath. We remember this redemption uh, that comes. And of course, in this time, it was, uh, it was equated to bringing God's people out of the land of Egypt. So now we have this question, which is a good one to ask, is... Which day of the week is the Sabbath on? We've talked about in our passage here, it was like the last day of the week on Saturday. But which day do we partake of the Sabbath on? Well, it would be Sunday. It would be today. It would not be the last day of the week. It would be, in fact, the first day of the week. So let's discuss that for a minute. And some of you might be familiar with this, but it's a good opportunity uh, for the children in particular to understand this. So first of all, we have to understand throughout the whole time of the Old Covenant, The Sabbath remained on the last day of the week, or Saturday. Saturday serves really as a great reminder uh, of not only God and how he he rested on the seventh day. We're familiar with that, familiar with that, but also as a reminder to the promise of God of that eternal rest, as we said, that was coming through the Messiah. You might remember that from Genesis 3.15, this seed of Eve. In other words, the Sabbath at the end of the week, was instructive to Israel to look forward 
to that second Adam in which we would partake and have rest in his accomplished redemption and secure that final eternal rest for his people. So this So this, at the end of the week, this Sabbath was always a reminder. This rest is coming through the Messiah. This rest is coming. Remember, the rest is coming through the Messiah. And uh, and so we we see that in the Sabbath. And then, of course, in Jesus, the second Adam, right, he came. He obeyed his father. He bled. He died. He was sinless. He perfectly kept God's law. And then what happened? On the first day of the week now, the first day of the week, the father effectively vindicated his obedient son, declaring him to be righteous in his resurrection. And so now, it is on Sunday, the first day of the week, that this very significant redemptive act occurred. And on Sunday, that curse on Adam's sin was undone, death was abolished, Christ brought life and light. As it says in 2 Timothy 1.10, Jesus abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so, with his work finished on the cross and now raised to life, the Sabbath no longer comes at the end of the week, but at the beginning of the week. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, secured for us this Sabbath rest. Now we rest in him, in Christ, and we live by his strength and the grace he supplies. And indeed, this is... Of course, an incredible work of God, and it's, it's declared pretty clearly in First Colossians 1, where it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, as a result of this, the New Testament church then met when? On Sunday. And, there, you know, there's several scriptures that speak of this and and talk about how this happened. You might remember John uh, 20, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 16, it talks about there. Revelation 1, and actually Revelation 1 uses the word, the Lord's day. It's really, really, really see that. And of course, we use that term a lot now, don't we too? But I think um, the scripture you might be most familiar with or helpful is from Acts 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, it says, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And so we remember this now is on Sunday, the Christian Sabbath, as it were, that we partake of today. And so remember the two points of Sabbath keeping, right? Creation and redemption. So there's that creation of God and how he displayed that and also this rest or this rest secured in Christ through redemption. And so now as Christians, we have this new creation through Christ and redemption through Christ. And of course, we can celebrate this on Sunday. But really, we can celebrate it every day as Christians, and that is, that is a true blessing. And I think it's instructive for us, something we should just remember and think about um, the Sabbath. Uh, when you think about the Sabbath, think about the Lord's Day. Number one, think about the new creation in us, because that's really what happens uh, through Christ. We're being born again in Christ, and it's in him where we find that rest, right? Like Just like God after the creation. And then secondly, we remember the redemption, that rest that comes through Christ. So, you might remember the words from Exodus 20, uh, as, we've, as we've said before, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle even nor your stranger who is within your gate. So we see this consistency, don't we? We see this consistency. This, there is a holiness ascribed to the Sabbath, and therefore it's to be what? Holy. It's set apart and different than other days. And we'll continue to see how this matters and is very important as we work through our text. So with that little interlude, let's go back to Luke 13. So in verse 11, let's pick it up there. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, a few considerations here. Uh, Notice her condition. Have you ever seen anyone like this? I, I, have, I think I have. Have you ever seen one that, someone that's like, kind of just walks around like this, maybe very bent over? Now, what do you think happened to that person? What do you think happened to such a person? You ever seen that? Well, I would think they had bad posture. And I tell that to my family sometimes. If you just, right, I just stand up straight because you're going to be bent over when you're old. If you, right? But that's not what the text tells us. It actually tells us the reason for her condition, which is very intriguing. A spirit of infirmity for 18 years. It was not a spirit of bad posture. It was a spirit of infirmity. So there was an evil spirit causing this upon her. Now, it's actually very illustrative to us, too, because you think someone bent over, almost like with a big weight or something on their back, that's kind of what's like, you know, this evil spirit pushing them down. It's very, it's very, it's a, it's a good picture of the, of the weightiness of that. And there's another picture too we're going to talk about as well. But, but we see that spirit and body are very connected, aren't they? I mean, there's a spirit of infirmity. It's probably having effects spiritually on her, but also physically. And so that's why if you're injured or you're sick or you have a disease or something, you don't really know what's going on, do you? It might be have you had had poor posture, right? It might have been um, some really just clearly direct physical situation, but it could be a spirit of infirmity. We don't know. And so not knowing, how should we approach these illnesses? How should you approach an illness, a disease, a sickness, or injury, even something you have? Well, we should first of all humbly go before our God and say, Am I doing something to bring this on? That's, that's a humble response, right? A- am I sinning? Do I have unconfessed sin? Have I somehow opened the door in my life to, to demonic influence? Right? We need to ask these questions. Could it be like what happened to Job? A spirit has divine permission to afflict you. Could be. And so there's different situations here. Now, there's also some interesting imagery going on that's sort of woven in. Now, notice, this is, this is remember the context, right? You remember the, remember the, where Jesus is there at the synagogue. So you have these people coming and listening at the synagogue. We have the ruler of the synagogue. We have Jesus, other people around. This woman's come, walks in uh, to the synagogue. 
but remember the, the picture of what's going on that we've also talked about earlier in Luke is, is this, is the, that Jesus is always in these sort of tensions, these discussions, if you will, to say it lightly, with the, with the rulers, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with kind of the religious leaders of the day. He's always in conflict, it seems like, with them as, as they're pushing back on him and he's saying, no, that's, that's not the truth. And so this woman bent over with this kind of weight on her, is also a picture of the regulations, the heavy-handedness of the religious leaders that were burdening the people. And I think it's important to note because Jesus sort of picks this out and sort of makes light of it to the people. He's saying, this is what's happening. And so it's just important to remember. You might remember just a couple chapters back in Luke 11 where Uh, Jesus said, Woe to you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So Jesus has just declared to him not long ago, you are putting these burdens on people's backs. Now, as we've read before, uh, we should should remember, is Jesus more interested in the condition of the soul or the physical person? And we've seen how he's really interested in the soul. And sort of he heals people almost as like, you know, just a product of, of that uh, resurrecting healing that he brings, that, that salvific work. But you see that this, that this uh, the, the lady, the crippled woman, she didn't really just go. It doesn't say she went to the synagogue to get healing. Why did she go to the synagogue that day? Well, she probably goes every, she went every Sabbath, right? She trusted in God. I mean, she would have liked to be healed. But see, she, her heart was foremost, my soul, for my, I, my soul needs the nourishment of God. I'm here to worship my God. And so that's, that's an important reminder. Jesus, Jesus in the Gospels calls us to come to him for our spiritual infirmities first, doesn't he? And that, that's what he's interested in. And by his kindness, he often heals our physical infirmities as well. So the text said, the text When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, I like to pick this apart a little bit. It says Jesus laid his hands on her. Did he need to do that? Well, then why did he do that? He just wanted to. It's instructive for us. I think it's just a moment to take a look at It's instructive for us. What means will God use to heal, fix, and cure? Will he do the hands on it? Right? Will he need to spit on the ground and rub on your eyes to make you see? Or will he need to do anything? Can, can, can a servant who's 15 miles away, just by, the, just by the spoken word of Christ, be healed? Absolutely. Right? And so it's instructive to us. To to cure cancer, Jesus can just do it. Could he use radiation, chemotherapy? I guess that could be part of his plan. We don't know. So we must trust in him, in communion with him. We must be available to his means, not constricting his means, but we're also wise and discerning about our approach as God leads us, right? Not just in physical healing, but in all kinds of life. Think about what job do you take, right? Think about what, what, what course do I pursue in my life? In the same way, we don't exactly know what God's going to do in our life, 
Perhaps you get hired for a job somewhere. You don't know what that's going to lead. But should we be thoughtful and discerning and prayerful about all these actions? Absolutely. Because we need to be led by our Lord. May his word be a lamp unto our feet. And may we not trust in our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. So the crippled woman is immediately healed and she stands up straight. That must have been quite a sight. 18 years. 18 years a long time. And, uh, and so this healing was really representative of the work of Christ, right? Because we see the alignment to this promise come true. Uh, Pastor Suiso read uh, Psalm 146. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He raises up those who were bowed down. And he loves the righteous. So this is, these are like the promised fulfillment uh, in Christ that we see. Now, of course, we see what's really neat here is, you know, we can be bared down with spiritual burdens and infirmities. Christ raises us up from that. He also physically rose this lady up too, which is really, really amazing. So it's just another picture of the gospel. The hard-hearted rebellion against God under a spirit of infirmity. But Christ comes with his life-giving grace, loosing the sinner from their chains, setting them in the light, standing up straight now, free from that burden. So Christ heals her soul. He also heals her body. And her response is, she glorifies God. Of course she glorifies God, because this is the same response we see when dead men come to life, don't we? We see that a lot in the, in the Gospels. It's a precious thing where people would, could, would run off and tell their friends because they just couldn't help themselves because they're so overwhelmed uh, by, what, by what the Lord did and the life, the spiritual life foremost that he gave them. Now, this is obviously a miracle of Jesus, but how did the synagogue ruler respond? How did he respond? Well, let's read verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. Well, as you know, the way people respond to an incident can really reveal the condition of their hearts. right? And the rulers, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Sadducees, all these religious rulers of the day, they were angry at Jesus. They were already upset at Jesus, and they were really hateful of anything he did. And as we know, they were actually trying to catch him in somehow breaking God's law so that they could bring him and discredit him. And what's amazing here, and this was actually probably amazing to the whole crowd if you think about it. Okay, this phenomenal miracle had just just happened. After 18 years, this lady stands up. Don't you think the synagogue ruler would have been like, wow, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm not really for this, but wow, that's pretty impressive. He didn't even say that. He's just like, bad, you know, how dare you? Um, He just really, it really revealed the heart, didn't it? And I think it reveals priority. You ever notice that? How do we prioritize things? Um, You know, regarding the way people respond to things. A simple example, simple example. A co-worker, okay, says, hey, uh, I'll take you out to lunch today. You're like, great, I have to go out to, oh, but I actually already have, I'm actually going, already going out to lunch with my wife. So you go, sorry, coworker, can't go out to lunch with you, I'm going out with my wife. Um, I, and so you've prioritized, I've already made plans with my wife, I'd honestly rather go out to lunch with my wife than you, so I'm not going out to lunch with you. You have simple priority, 
I've, I've made a decision. Here's another one. That, you know, where is your heart? And I think we have, to, we have to really think deeply. Where is our heart when sometimes things happen? This one's a little bit more challenging. Let's say you lend your car to someone, your brand new car to someone. And they call you about 30 minutes later and say, Oh, I'm sorry, but I crashed your car and it's totaled. Now, right then, what is your mind thinking? Are you thinking, is my car okay? Or my car, is it? Or are you thinking about the person? And I mean, we have to check our hearts on that, right? Like, what, you know, what, what's our instant impulse? And it's, it's a priority. It's where, where are our hearts on these things? Did my car get destroyed? Or is this person okay? And so it tells us, the ruler of the synagogue tells us what? He loved his law, or as it were, or maybe his tradition of God's law, or his application of God's law, certainly more than he loved this woman, which is very sad. And we see this again. Jesus called out the rulers. You might remember Matthew 23. Jesus goes through a whole list. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win, win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So these religious rulers, they loved control, striving for perfection, and really salvation by works more than they loved people. So how does Jesus respond to this statement by the synagogue ruler? Verse 15, Jesus answered and said, Hypocrite, does not each of one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So Jesus immediately calls the ruler a hypocrite, and he explains why. It was, see, it was common practice amongst the Jews that they would, and allowed by God's law, they would let their cattle out on the Sabbath to drink. I mean, otherwise these things are going to just get dehydrated and die. Um, so they would let, they would loose them. Notice the, the connection here. That's the word Jesus used. He, they would loose them or let them out of their stalls to go to the pond or the stream or whatever and drink on the Sabbath day, right? And so Jesus says, you've let your cow or your cattle be loose to go get water. This woman is sort of harnessed by Satan. Will you not let her be loosed and be free? And so, this was a, a hypocritical statement. Jesus is keeping, as, you, as it were, these religious rulers to their word. They wanted to follow the law. They wanted to follow it, but they were being hypocritical about it. And, of course, Jesus really fires back because this ruler of the synagogue, he's effectively calling this woman, like, less than a donkey or an animal. I mean, it was almost possible that morning that very synagogue ruler had actually done this maybe loosed his cattle to go do this and now here he is really saying yeah but she's not worth that and so it was a very it was a very he, jesus really highlighted the, de, the denigration that this this person brought and uh and of course as jesus also said she's been bound by satan and here's an opportunity for her to be healed and loosed and you are denying her that opportunity and, of course, we remember our duty on the Sabbath day, and this would be a good opportunity as we consider what, you know, what really the tension was here. The, really, the only accusation the synagogue ruler could bring was this idea of, well, it's, I guess it's the Sabbath, so maybe that's a good reason why you shouldn't heal her. But let's read from the uh, con- uh, Westminster Confession of Faith just a little bit here on the Sabbath so that we can understand uh, how we should view it. 
as it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto them, which, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, was the last day of the week from the resurrection of Christ, was changed to the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day. And it is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So we've talked about that. Secondly, the Sabbath is then kept holy to the Lord when men, after due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their works, words, their thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship in the duties of necessity and mercy. And what we're going to see is that there's certainly different views of keeping the Sabbath in Christianity today. Some of you might be aware of those. And it's a good question. What should we do on the Sabbath? What should we not do on the Sabbath? And there's been a lot of even debate in this in, in Reformed thinking and differences. And we would generally believe what the Scripture tells us, right? As we actually just read, a lot of Scripture references there in the in Confession of Faith. But we are told to refrain from work. And again, that goes back to the creation and redemption ideas that remember the rest that Christ, that God took, the rest that Christ secures for us, except for duties of necessity and mercy, as our confession says. But the main distinction here is actually split up today in kind of Reformed world even into two, two, two distinctive thoughts. And one holds what you might hear as the continental view, and you might hear the, the, the Puritan view or the Puritanical view uh, versus basically their position on recreation. You know, where is recreation allowed? And then, of course, that brings in well, what is really defined as recreation. And there's some nuances here, and they kind of flow into other aspects. And so Christians ask questions, and there's differences. There's probably a lot of differences even in our church. Should you travel? Some will travel, some will not. Should you spend money? Some will, some will not. Should you go to a sporting event? Some will, some will not, and so on. And so the main counsel that I could give you on this subject is to diligently study the Word of God. Amen? Go, go to the Word and see what it says. Pray for guidance, for a sound biblical decision, and then stay consistent to that Word. Right? Live your convictions. We need to do that. Secondly, I think it can be helpful to study church history. And read on this topic. See, what, it, what have the saints done over the years? And that'll, that'll be really helpful. You go all, be, all the way back to Augustine and get, get his view and then you know, come all the way forward and understand that. But it's important to have a position. Don't just be flimsy about it, right? Have a position and stand it and live your convictions and walk in it and then keep them. Let's take a closer look at what Jesus says to the ruler of the synagogue. I'll pick it up in verse 16. He said, So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Now, thank thank goodness for the uh, sermon this morning. We learned a little about being sons of Abraham, or same thing, daughters of Abraham. Jesus uses this, not only in the children's song, we heard that, right, Father Abraham, but also Jesus uses this actually throughout his ministry. It's really interesting. Um, he, He uses it here. He says, she's a daughter of Abraham. 
But you know who else? We're going to eventually, one day, we're going to get to Luke 19, and that's about Zacchaeus. He actually uses this to describe Zacchaeus too. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. This is interesting. Um, So this bent over woman and Zacchaeus were heirs of this blessing. Again, just like we heard about this morning, which Jesus was fulfilling, right, through bringing his kingdom. And so again, Jesus speaks in direct contrast of how the synagogue ruler was treating this woman. Jesus declares, well, well, they're certainly more than cattle. (laughs) They're more important than cattle, but these are children of God. This is a daughter of Abraham. This is an heirs, they're heirs of the promise to me and you and their children and their household. Yet the synagogue rulers were treating them like animals. And that's really why you see Jesus bring that out. And so you think of Galatians 3, it makes a lot of sense what Jesus was proclaiming now. When he said, you know, she's a daughter of Abraham, these kind of thoughts flooded the minds of the people. And they go, whoa, yeah, he's calling her a cattle or less, but this is, this is an heir. Uh, This is an heir of the kingdom. This is phenomenal. And so it was a very, very strong statement. So Jesus also says this woman was bound by Satan. And the synagogue synagogue ruler is saying she should not be unbound because it's the Sabbath. And he was, what Jesus, we don't see it here directly, but what Jesus was saying, if you take that position, you are on the side of Satan and you want to continue to bind this woman down. Right, And uh, Jesus really does uh, an, uh, some amazing works later that we can read about uh, when he describes the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath and the use of the Sabbath. And so uh, that's very helpful to, in his ministry and for us today, of course. Notice also, it, and it's, it's, really, it's really called out here, that the ruler showed partiality. The ruler showed partiality. We see other passages like this where Jesus warned about this. But think about it. We have an old, crippled, possibly poor woman. I mean, she's alone as far as we know. And Jesus is trying to heal her. He's trying to love her. And the ruler says no. But what if, what if the person that needed something was a wealthy you know, donated a lot to the synagogue and he was well-dressed and well-mannered. Would the synagogue ruler have taught, you know, used that person differently? Possibly, we don't know. But partiality is something that we all must be on guard for. You might remember the words uh, of Jesus in Luke 14, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable be invited by him, and he who invited you and him may come and say, Give this, give place to this man, and you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the, lo- sit in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have the glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So following Jesus' statement here, we see that his adversaries were put to shame. They had nothing to say, but the multitude rejoiced. And for two reasons. One of all, one probably just because of the miracle they saw. They were probably just so overwhelmed with the miracle of Christ. And secondly, because he spoke exactly what the people saw. 
the hypocrisy of some of these rulers. And so in this way, Jesus showed faith and he showed authority. What really a glorious consideration for all those who were in attendance that day. These people who had been watching really in many ways had a better sense than the synagogue rulers of what was needed. And what, was, of course, was needed was healing for this person. Um, unfortunately, the rulers were judging impartially. They were, they were judging partial, with partiality. And they were scorning Jesus for this healing work. But the people rejoiced for the glorious work done by him. And uh, just one, uh, one, one, just a quote from one Puritan on this passage. I like the summary here. He said, The shame of his foes was the joy of his followers. The increase of his interest was the one fretted at and the other triumphed in. We could all do well to rejoice in the truth when God is proclaimed and displayed in the world. And this should be our natural response, to, to cry out hallelujah to our God, no matter where we are. You could be alone, praying to God. You could be in your household. You could be with a co-worker. You could be down at Safeway. But we give praise to our God when we see our God and the great things that he does. And what a blessing it is as Christians to see the truth proclaimed and just sort of unveiled in front of us. Um, the word of God rings true in Christians when we, when we see the miraculous work of his hand. And as we close, I just want to apply this teaching to our lives. Let us consider, let us remember the creation and redemptive aspects of keeping the Sabbath holy. May we remember who we are, each of us, as Christ's heirs of the promise, as children of Abraham, as we heard. And therefore, we show no partiality, but we, like our God, come with equity to love him and to love those he's put in front of us. And may we consider... Uh, the Sabbath. May we, may, we, may we take a moment to consider, am I keeping the Sabbath holy? And how do I go about and do that? How I, do I give glory to God in that which he has given to us here? Do we see the Sabbath as a blessing? Do we see it as a gift from our God? And do, do we rejoice in that? And may we lastly rejoice in the truth of our God and declare it from the mountaintops and be on the lookout for it every day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this word tonight. We thank you for the beautiful gift of creation, of redemption, and seen here in the Sabbath. We thank you for the mighty, powerful work of Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord, how not only did he declare this authority and this truth, but Lord, he glorified and made you known to not only that, time, but look how your word has spread forth throughout all of creation and continues to go forth as you redeem hearts actively with us today. Oh God, be with us as we go forth and we are on the lookout. We are watchful for you at work and how you even do that work through our lives and the life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.